Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 195 of the Fun With Cars Formula One podcast for coverage of the Bahrain Grand Prix in Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates. I'm Robin Warner. And I am Jim Lau. And we are recording this with a couple of days have gone by since the uh, since the race itself. So we've got a little bit more context. And that is actually pretty helpful in this case because a lot of the controversy so far of the 2016 Formula One season has been qualifying. And we had a conversation about that on the last show. So We had a couple. As you may know, just this evening, uh, or maybe earlier in the day, uh, U.S. time, the uh, decision was, was, I don't know if it, how official it is, but potentially officially um decided to go back to 2015 spec qualifying. So doing away with elimination altogether. That's right. Yeah. The, the story I saw came, you know, in middle of the afternoon, Eastern time, which would mean evening in England, but it doesn't matter. The important part is the teams rallied together and stayed unified this time and said, no, we want the old qualifying back. 2015, no exceptions, and because all 11 teams were united there, um, Jean Todd and the FIA and Bernie Ecclestone relented and said, yeah, yeah, okay. But there is still talk about how qualifying is going to be changed for 2017, which we can get into that conversation in a little while. But for now, we know that it's going to be the 2015-style qualifying format for the Chinese Grand Prix unless something changes, which we have no reason to think that it will and hope that it doesn't. Right. And we can all be thankful for that because say what you want about this new format. And there has been interesting discussion going on, different opinions, even on our Facebook page, which was wonderful to see. And maybe we'll get into that in just a second. But qualifying, I think we can all agree, was not the single biggest problem in Formula One. And... So by trying to fix something that wasn't really broken was not doing anyone any good. Apparently, the nature of the conversations were that after Australia, there was a meeting of the teams. And uh, I understand that uh, most of the teams or maybe even all the teams wanted to change qualifying, but then they couldn't quite come to unanimous consensus about exactly what they would do or the team owners did. And then the FIA said, oh, so what if we do this new other thing or this other new thing, which was not what any of the teams asked for. Yeah, I think more importantly, the, the way I understood it, the FIA said, well, what if we take the new qualifying format for Q1 and Q2 and then the old qualifying format for Q3? And eight teams said, fine, that's better than nothing. And three teams said, no, 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 that's all or nothing here. Don't give us this Frankenstonian nonsense. And that's what held on to the original 2016 format for Bahrain. But now all 11 teams said, no, no, no. So I think it's because of that uh, that uniform behavior from all teams that the FIA re- relented. Right. And so now looking at uh, this is an article that says this proposal, if approved by the F1 governing bodies, will take effect as from the Chinese Grand Prix and will apply for the rest of the season. So even even still, there's a little bit of weasel room in there because it's like, oh, OK, this is a proposal and. The uh, World Motorsport Council uh, has accepted it, but now it still has to be accepted by, I don't know, who else is in charge of governing these things. So it's so weird. But, but yeah, it does seem like um, that that's the, that's the case. That for the rest of 2016, it's going to be that. And of course, as we talked about, two of the issues. One is that the qualifying format itself was wonky. And I was kind of like, well, we should give it a chance and maybe it could be okay. And this, you know, we had another pretty lame qualifying session in Bahrain. 
So I'm not really sad to see it go. But the other thing, uh, the other problem we had with it was the nature of the way it was introduced and then changed and then changed again. And it was all just confusing and unclear how to communicate that to the fans. And even the teams were unsure about exactly what was going to happen. So this at least puts off that conversation to next year. And so now there's at least good time um, if, you know, somebody uh, in, in the governance of Formula One decides that there should be a change for qualifying for 2017. There's plenty of time to talk about what are the positives and negatives. They could do some simulated qualifying runs and testing or something or kind of, you know, get some fan input or get you know, whatever. They could really, com- you know, consider it more thoroughly than they did for the beginning of this year. And that's probably the the best news of all. Whether they decide it needs to change or not after that process is 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 whatever it is. But at least there's time for a proper conversation about it. I think that key point you touched on was complication. We had, we, uh, by we, I mean Formula One, had a fairly complicated but rewarding qualifying format in the knockout qualifying. We had three qualifying sessions. A number of drivers were knocked out in each session, and finally it was the top 10 that had 14 or 12 minutes or whatever the time was to go for pole. Okay. But it was, it was relatable and it was common enough sense that less than a diehard fan could understand what was going on. This year, genuinely befuddled Formula One announcers and drivers and teams, let alone your less than diehard fan. So the complication that this new format was uh, just adding to the sport was just silly and it was not giving us anything in return and, and just, you know, it was remarkable to me that it did take two race events, but, you know, it is what it is and better late than never. And just real quick, I wanted to quickly run through the various comments we had on Facebook because I think it's just a real nice overview of where people, different people's heads were at. Paul Peard said, I think it's the right call, but it is only, the only reason is because it's too complex for the, uh, for the audience. I understand if it wasn't very good ultimately, but it made no difference to the top places. And and so Paul Peard's point was, hey, the old qualifying gave us predictable polls. The new qualifying gave us predictable polls, but the new qualifying was more complicated. And Luis Marx said, I don't see what all the fuss is about, really. Whatever qualifying format they use, the Mercs will be on top. And at least there was a chance of an upset on Sunday. Qualifying is dull as dishwater. So Luis uh, gets the best wordplay so far. And her point was, look, the biggest disappointment in qualifying is that we always know the Mercedes are going to be on pole. So how we get to the Mercedes being on pole is more or less irrelevant. Um, But the last two comments I'm going to read were both pretty unified rejoice, but seriously, we cannot forget the crazy road. It took us to get here. The things need to change or this won't be the last gimmick. And uh, Jeremy Kelp, I think said it most succinctly by stating finally. So I just thought that our comments on Facebook were a nice overview of the people's opinions. Now you notice that none of them, not a single one was like, Oh no, I like the new qualifying format. That was way better because no one thought that. Yeah. But I'm pleased to say that despite the wonky qualifying that we will hopefully no longer see maybe ever again, 
um, we did have, uh, this is, you know, the second race of the year and the second good, fun, exciting race of the year. So in spite of all the wonkiness with qualifying, we are uh, having exciting races that uh, I would agree with the people that don't like new qualifying that do, and they're not because qualifying gave us this crazy grid and the crazy grid led to a good race. No, I think a combination of the starts also being unpredictable like last time and the tiger strategy allowing the drivers to choose from three compounds instead of two seems to have added a new element. Definitely. Yes, definitely. So it's maybe a bit early to say exactly. Um, is it because of, you know, how much of the tire rule having an effect? I mean, we'll see as, as we get more races and, and interestingly for Bahrain or sorry, for China, it's been announced that, uh, Nico and Lewis in the same Mercedes have different tire strategies. So they're going to have different compounds. So we'll see how that plays out. That could be an interesting thing at the front of the field. But part of the idea of the qualifying was to spice things up a little bit. And the good news is things are spicy enough. So go back to last year's qualifying. Uh, that new qualifying wasn't, wasn't helping. And, uh, either way, we've got fun racing through a combination of the other rule changes. I don't know how much of this is because there's no strategy calls on the radio. That was, uh, another big, you oh, know, that's, that's another big one. Yeah. You know, and, potential point of convention contention, but it's a little yeah. hard to say if that's actually affected things or not. But the good news is the racing has been interesting, uh, even if it has been a bit predictable so far at the very top. But even, I mean, it's another solid performance for uh, Haas, specifically for Grosjean. Seems like more bad luck for Gutierrez, but, um, you know, with a fifth place result, even better than the sixth that he had last time. Did you know that Romain Grosjean is currently fifth? in the Drivers' World Championship, fifth. And he's actually tied with fourth on points, but he just he doesn't have the higher result. So in the Haas, fifth in the Drivers' Championship. Right. Of course, ahead of Sebastian Vettel, who we haven't talked about yet, but obviously had a pretty disastrous race weekend uh, here in Bahrain. Um, ahead of both Williams, ahead of uh, one of the Red Bulls, all the Force India, you know, and, and let alone the sort of the other mid-pack teams and backmarkers. So yeah, it's been... You think, okay, one good result at the very, very beginning of the season in Australia is, okay, it's a bit of luck and, you know, strategy and who knows. But to have a sixth followed up by a fifth place and Grosjean is just super, super happy and excited and really feeling it. And the team is doing well. And yeah, to, to sort of, after two races already, have a, uh, you know, it's very close, of course, with only these races. And it's and very, pretty, you know, pretty likely that Sebastian Vettel will pull ahead of him. But still, to be fifth in the championship now, it's just got to feel great. And it's also good validation for Grosjean having moved from formerly Lotus, now Renault, you know, one would have thought, oh, a French team, that's going to be exciting. French driver, that would be a good fit and whatever. But, uh, you know, the Renaults are nowhere near. They have no points at all yet this year. So uh, it's got, you know, Romain's got to feel good about making the switch to Haas, which is, of course, a risky move when he made it. America. <clears throat> yeah, because Haas. I think what's amazing about the Haas team, first of all, picking Grosjean, knowing that the French driver had so much potential and he's proving it now early on. But what I really like about the American team is they looked at the rules and said, oh, what is the best way for us to take advantage of the rules as they are? And they said, oh, gosh, it means it's going to take a little bit less of our own development to become a constructor than it used to. Let's do that. Let's do as little as possible, learn as we go. I think if... Ross Braun were starting his own Formula One team in 2016 that he would have made similar decisions and be in a similar boat. So I give Gene Haas a lot of credit for being strong enough as a person to say, I don't know how to do this stuff yet. Let me buy from an established team, build a good relationship with Ferrari, 
and uh, make the most of it. And I think he's done exactly that, and I, I applaud him for it. Yeah, I mean, Ross Brown is a bit of a weird example because he did, of course, buy out the Honda team. So it was buying out a known team and then took it and made it worlds better than it ever was just because some, some you know, clever, call it loophole, call it clever interpretation of the rules or whatever. So for Ross Brown to go on as a as a quote unquote new constructor, but, you know, a new team name, at least for that uh, thing, I'm, a new engine yeah, package. No, you're you're it, absolutely right. I'm not trying to equate Ross's team as a new constructor, but I'm saying if Ross Braun were a brand new constructor, and because Ross Braun was always very clever at finding loopholes in the rules, in a way, that's effectively what uh, Gene Haas did. You know, he found what the rules, he found a way to maximize the rules for a new team, just like Ross Braun found a way to maximize a rule, the rules for a team, an established team he bought into. Right. Of course, Ross Braun went and had a uh, his driver uh, win the constructor win the championship that year, and of course, the team won the constructors' championship. So that's uh, hard to argue with in terms of results. But either way, I don't want to take anything away from the Haas performance that they've had. I really do hope to see Gutierrez have a solid weekend so that he can be up there and you know mixing around as well. Because of course, on the team points, as we all know from some seasons past, especially with uh, Vettel performances and Raikkonen lack thereof. It's a much harder task to, to be anywhere in the Constructors' Championship if you don't have two consistent points finishers. And for now, Esteban Gutierrez is 0-for-0 zero zero on race finishes. Uh, the Alonso thing uh, from uh, Australia is really hard to say, you know, if it's super his fault or the other. You know, it seems like that was just kind of a, a big accident and it's sort of a weird uh, miscommunication between the drivers. Uh, in this case, it, this was a, a car fault. I don't think it had anything to do with uh, Grosjean or uh, anything to do with Gutierrez's driving. Uh, for his retirement in Bahrain. So that's just a break problem or something that sidelined him there. But I hope that they can get that sorted out and that uh, Gutierrez can get some confidence in the car. And we'll see uh, if he's anywhere near as good as Grosjean. But there's some question of that. Uh, and so far, Romain is just doing all you could ask for him. And uh, certainly in terms of points, establishing himself as a number one driver. And we'll see how that dynamic plays out in the team. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think most importantly for Espan, I don't think anyone disagrees that he's just had terrible luck. It has nothing to do with his own performance. He's just dealt with, he's gotten the short end of the stick as far as new team development and the crash, just as you said with Alonzo, it was just a bizarre and terrible set of circumstances, nothing else. So, uh, agreed. But, uh, you know, we were talking about qualifying and then we jumped into how, uh, we had a great race, and we do not attribute the qualifying for that. What I do attribute it to is we have a much less controlled race start. And by less controlled, I mean the engineers are less able to really tune in the exact starting mechanism and starting procedure for the drivers. The drivers have to do that on their own. And some are going to do it a little better than others. And mixing up the race start is helping to mix up the race in general. And secondly, I think the other thing that's really helped for strong race results is we have a lot of a much stronger group of teams. Haas, as we mentioned, he's coming. Uh, he that that team is coming strong. Ferrari is stronger than they were last year and really right on the edge of going after Mercedes. And we still have, we have a stronger Red Bull team. We have a very strong Toro Rosso team. And we have uh, Force Indias definitely still in the mix. Williams kind of holding steady where they were, but still punching above their weight in terms of budget. So 
what we have is a much stronger, I don't know, best of the rest, you can call it. But best of the rest is well into the points and a lot of exciting things going on. And we also have some drama coming on with uh, youngsters like Max Verstappen not fully understanding uh, what it means to have a teammate and be a part of a team right now. He's a little bit more my way or the highway at this point in time, which is ironic to see because he's older than he was last year. And last year he seemed way more mature. <laughs> it, it, I'm having a hard time with that one. Yeah. Thankfully he has backed off uh, from his attitude in Australia though, uh, where he did apparently issue an apology to Carlos Sainz and said, okay, yeah. And to his team saying, okay, yeah, I know I got, I was, I was doing well and I was being held up, but I should have handled that better. So I I think that that's a much better uh, outcome than having him sort of digging his heels and going, oh, no, no, I should be the best driver. They should let me pass and blah, blah, blah. He sort of said, okay, yeah, I was, I was at the time, you know, I I got a little out of myself uh, and, you know, just whatever. It kind of went too far. Um, So that's nice to see and just in terms of uh, liking him as a guy and uh, seeming like a a reasonable sportsman. But uh, the other thing I want to talk about with the start was uh, Valtteri Bottas. Uh, the Williams do seem to get good starts, and in this case, got a very, very good start. Uh, and then Botas, uh, I don't know what I'm curious what you think on this, but um, got he got very aggressive, and he was thinking of that Ayrton Senna quote where if you see a gap and you don't go for it, then you're not a racing driver. So Valtteri Botas wanted to be a racing driver. He saw a gap and he went for it, uh, and that of course was I was thinking was going to be huge damage for uh, Hamilton's car, and that that might have actually been something that he'd have to pit, pit at least for a punctured tire or maybe a new front wing or whatever. Um, as of course we all now know, Hamilton was able to hold on to the hold on to the rest for the rest of the race and come home second, which is pretty impressive considering uh, how it, how wrong it could have gone. Hamilton came home third, not ah, second, right. but yes, otherwise yes. But uh, Botas, of course, got a drive through penalty was awarded during the race. Um, do you think that was warranted in this case that he should have been penalized for what he did? Yeah, I I definitely do. Your uh, quote, uh, Iron said a quote, I think was a very good one because it's a good chance that Botas was thinking exactly that. The problem was there wasn't a gap there. <laughs> it was extraordinarily optimistic. He came from several car links behind to look for a hole that closed up before he even got close, but the momentum was there and he couldn't uh, change direction. So, yeah, he it was poor judgment on his part, and I think he got what what he deserved there, frankly, and... If that exact move had gone much differently, then it wouldn't have been uh, any different from what Romain Grosjean did at the start of Spa a couple years ago, which, you know, some people were prepared to kick him out of the sport as a result of that. And the only difference between what Romain did and what Botas did is, you know, more cars ended up hitting each other at the end because of the circumstances. Romain wasn't any more aggressive than Valtteri Botas was in this particular move. I mean, that's my opinion. Yeah, and uh, I, I agree with that. I mean, it's 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 so hard for a driver. It's impossible, really, for a driver to know in the moment uh, what the outcome is going to be of a particular move. I mean, I guess you can always play it safe, but um, being really aggressive and uh, and going for a gap, like I, you know, I, I agree with the penalty. Um, at, at that point, uh, Botas had already fallen down the order a little bit, so it wasn't a huge deal um, to uh, to have. I mean, it was still a big deal for him, I guess, to have a drive through penalty. But um, he ended up coming home ninth. While you were talking there, I was trying to navigate my way around this god awful Formula One dot com website to find the uh, the rest of the results because 
It was giving me like the history of Bahrain. There you go, Formula One. That's something to work on before qualifying. Yeah. The website. Make that better. Yeah. The old system, at least we knew where to click to get stuff. And now I'm trying to find everything. Here we are. Um, it's uh, So yeah, he came home ninth at the end of the day. But uh, I guess it was exciting because it was sort of edge of your seat stuff. And it was, I can imagine Hamilton, um, he almost got the car spun around. And if he were pointing the other way, he would have had to wait for basically the whole field to go by before spinning himself back around. And that would have been a much bigger hole to climb out of. As it happened, uh, it was sort of this sort of this double hit from Botas, so it, it knocked him sideways and then kind of straightened him back out. And Hamilton was able to get going. Apparently, he was down by about a second per lap after that, with just the damage on his car. I know uh, bits of the front wing were gone, and uh, some of the suspension might have been tweaked a little bit. So, uh, of course, you're right. Uh, Kimi Raikkonen came home second, and for a while uh, there was it seemed like Kimi was threatening Rosberg for the win. Of course, in the end, it was a 10 second gap. You know, I guess he backed off near the end when he knew it was going to happen, uh, but. It was a very, very, I mean, that was basically the uh, the definition of damage control for Lewis to hang on, keep his head, you know, keep his head in the game for after that crash and just get back going, get, get, get it done, you know, work whatever strategy changes they had to do to uh, keep his tires going and, and make everything happen. And even though the car was in rough shape, um, to be able to come back, make some passes that he did, uh, keep his strategy going and, and bring it home third for 15 points is a very, very good performance. Um, Lewis has got to be pissed, though, at this point that uh, Rosberg is leading the championship with, uh, you know, Lewis falling back relatively to that. I mean, Nico, of course, extending his his win streak. Yeah, Rosberg has a 17-point lead in the Constructors' Championship right now, so you're exactly right. And he's, his win in Bahrain was his fifth race win in a row. The, the three before Australia were just last season, so they don't count, but he's... He's on a roll, to say the least, and I'm sure this is getting under Hamilton's skin. I think, you know, Hamilton can blame himself a little bit. He's still not quite as good as Rosberg with the race starts, which is what we were talking about earlier. But also, Hamilton can take solace in the fact that, okay, his car was damaged and he was still able to consolidate third. That is very much a championship drive to be able to do something like that, to take to maximize what you have given the situation. So, you know, life gives you lemonins, make lemonade, you know, life gives you damaged carbon fiber, make third place carbon fiber aid. I don't, I don't know. ran out of analogy there, but anyway, I, so I give Hamilton lots of credit for doing what he did. And if he keeps his head down, Oh boy, that's a cliched one. If he stays focused and doesn't allow emotion to get involved, I think he'll be able to definitely challenge Rosberg. And I think it's fantastic that Rosberg has been so tuned up and so turned on right now. The fact that he's got so much momentum going into the season is a very good thing. 2015 became a fairly lackluster year in terms of the Drivers' Championship. This is going to make it harder. And let's not forget, the Ferrari looks strong. And the fact that Kimi Raikkonen pulled off what he did and was a strong second and as you said at times was threatening for the win a little but he was there that's boding well for Ferrari there will be races where Ferrari is the faster car and there might even be a race where Red Bull is the faster car so we have the potential for a much more enjoyable season this year yeah and it could be interesting too with uh, Hamilton having this points deficit I I do still have the sense that uh, unless something crazy happens which is a, a you know who knows 
that Hamilton will ultimately be able to be faster. I mean, seeing his performances in qualifying, that those have come together well, and, and Lewis has been just really on top of that, uh, is you know it's promising. So this should make things a little bit more interesting because it'll probably be a little bit until uh, Hamilton will be able to, if he can, overtake Rosberg and uh, go and win and you know lead and, and eventually maybe win the championship this year. Um, the other thing I think is interesting here is, there's, well, two things about the McLaren Honda. First of which is, of course, Alonso was not in the car, and there was quite a bit of back and forth about that because after the crash in Australia, he was examined at the time and said, okay, yeah, you're, you're, you know, you're doing pretty well. You're okay. You know, he wasn't uh, in, in any kind of super serious treatment. He was just kind of relaxing and then some basic kind of, you know, his usual training and all that. But in the pre-screening for all the medical checks in Bahrain, I think it was not until he actually arrived in Bahrain and was going through these uh, screenings that they found it was a, I guess, cracked rib and I don't know, it was a pneumothorax. I don't know if punctured lung isn't the right term for it, but somebody, at least a bruised lung, but a problem with his rib and lung that was enough for the medical team to say, oh, you're not cleared to race. You're not allowed to do it. And, uh, and of course, McLaren uh, called up Stoffel Van Doren, flew him back across the world, and uh, he did a fantastic job. We'll talk about Stoffel in a second, but... The Alonzo thing was an interesting controversy. I was a little bit surprised to see this controversy, um, but we had a couple people, including uh, Paul Peard on our Facebook page, um, we're talking about how MotoGP riders regularly ride with broken bones and crushed hands and all that, and that, like, you know, Alonzo should, I don't know, man up, or um, why not, uh, uh, you know, why, would, why wouldn't why would he be allowed to do that? So some people were saying that the stewards were being all, you know, nanny state, whatever, that the driver and maybe his team should be allowed to make the decision for themselves. Um, but in this case, it was not Alonzo's decision. Apparently it was made for him. If it were up to Alonzo, you know, that's another question I think is to say, okay, here's the situation. Uh, the medical doctors can check you out and give you a report and say, okay, your lungs are bruised or your, your ribs, you know, here's the deal with that. Um, here are the risks. Do you want to race? Yes or no. Then you could make that, uh, you know, have that conversation about, okay, is that a reasonable situation to put someone in? Uh, and then should he, or should he not have, um, I think it would be just unnecessary risk for Alonzo to get in the car with, uh, you know, bruised ribs and, and lung. I mean, that just seems like, um, of course, there's always the potential for another crash. And if there were a problem that was, whether it's his fault or whatever else, if there were another problem, another crash of any kind, and he were involved in it, and then it, that seems almost, uh, not guaranteed, of course, but a very high chance that uh, that there would be further injury. And then everyone looking, go, oh, that was really dumb. Why was he back in the car? Um, but even without a crash, just going over the curbs, uh, Bahrain's not a super bumpy circuit, but it does have some undulations and stuff to it. It seems like just the vertical, uh, acceleration that you're, you know, there's no padding in the, in the car. I mean, there's, it's, it's so precious little, you're sitting right on the floor. The suspension is so stiff that even just driving the car around and going over any kind of bumps or hitting any kind of curbs or whatever, just seems like unnecessary risk that that doesn't to me seem like, oh, he should man up and, oh yeah, you know, wouldn't it be great if everyone, you know, if he's injured and he just drives through it, like, wouldn't that be great to see? And in my opinion, no, I think it's, perfectly reasonable situ- you know, choice to say, I have these injuries. I don't want to make them worse. And to drive the car at, you know, seven tenths or whatever, because you're just nursing your injuries. Isn't, I don't know. That's not impressive to me. It seems like it's, it's fine to say, okay, I'm not suited. I'm not fit to race right now. I'm going to set this one out. And, uh, it also gives Stoffel Van Doren a chance to show what he can do, which is quite a bit. And, you know, probably Alonzo will be in for China and beyond. And I hope that he is, and I hope that he recovers. Um, but I don't, I don't think less of him for making that choice. Yeah, I it's funny because I was definitely leaning towards the Paul Peard end of things, and, and well, first of all, not exactly because from the beginning it, it was clear that this was not Alonzo making the decision. This was the F one medical team making the decision, saying uh, no, you shouldn't drive. But what changed my mind and makes me agree with you, Jim, 
is exactly what you mentioned. The medical team said, no, no, no. It's not that his injuries could get worse if he's in another accident. It's that his injuries could get worse just from running the race. The complications with his lungs and ribs were just bad enough that he could perpetuate the problem simply by going through the general forces of being in a Grand Prix car for the course of a Grand Prix. So it's like, hey, you're just going to delay the problem and make healing worse and longer if you don't just sit this one race out. Now, to a certain extent, you can't blame McLaren for wanting to put a brave face on it and say, no, 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 we want our driver to be in the car and make a fuss out of be like, well, we would have done it, but it was the team. But at the end of the day, I completely agree with you. It's like, okay, you're sitting out one race instead of sitting out potentially three or four couple years because oh it turns out your cracked ribs didn't get better in fact they got worse so right or having to drive three or four races or potentially more at less than 100 percent, where it's like oh he's in the car but he's not doing that well because you know it hurts every time he hits the brakes fully hard so he's got to start braking early like that would be that would just be lame so um yeah in this case they can they kind of sidestep the issue it wasn't it wasn't that f1 said okay you're injured but do you want to race or not in this case the the call was made for them and i guess i don't really see a problem with that uh, one of the one of the many uh, F1 Twitter accounts we follow is uh, Dr. Gary Hartstein. It's a former F1 doc on Twitter, and I, I like his opinions uh, because they're not just speculation, like so many things on Twitter, um, or like even you know what you and I come up with. Uh, it's it's actual like he is a medical doctor and can read the statements when a doctor comes out and says, "Oh, he's got a you know perforated this and a pneumothorax that and uh, this kind of injury." Um, you know this uh, Gary Hartstein as a former F1 doctor. But, you know, knows what that means and how serious that is and knows the forces that an F1 driver goes through and can comment intelligently on it. And he was also, uh, you know, as soon as, um, actually when the, when the announcements first came out about, about, uh, Alonzo scan, he said, Oh, I can't really talk now. I have to go to surgery and, you know, I'll, I'll talk after my, after my scrub in or whatever. And it's like, well, that's kind of cool that it's not just, you know, an old guy sitting around his computer thinking about, it. he's like, no, he's still doing medicine and, and a practicing physician. So that's kind of, you know, a little credibility there, but for him to know how serious these things are and go, yeah, I would be really surprised if Alonzo would want to race with this and people thinking that he should be a gladiator and whatever are maybe missing the point. So I guess there are places where that's really cool to see someone and say, wow, this guy's injured, but isn't it great that he was able to carry on? And in a different way, we were talking about that with Lewis's car. It's like his car was damaged and he was able to drive through that. But that, that to me just is, you know, there's no healing process for the car. The car gets rebuilt after every race. That's fine. Um, and it just seems uh, in my, in my mind, just a little bit of a silly dichotomy to say oh he should he should be tough and and do his thing it's like no he can he can be smart and we like smart people too it's not just about um that you know everyone's got injuries and they're driving through it uh because i'd rather see him back uh in in the car at 100 percent and uh you know recovering well and going on to do his thing in the championship yeah exactly right being tough is uh i think more importantly mentally tough and being mentally tough would be strong and stable and tough enough to say it's better for me in the long run. It's better for my championship in the wrong, long run. It's better for my team in the long run to sit this one single race out, heal better, and be, as you said, 100% or at least closer to 100% for the Chinese Grand Prix, which both Jim and I wish that Alonzo will play a role in. And as a result, hey, happy little uh, consequence here. We got to see Stoffel Van Dorn in the car, and he performed admirably. He did well in qualifying. He got to Q2, as did Jensen Button, and actually outperformed 
Jensen Button in qualifying, and then he went on to score points in his driver's debut in a car that we know has uh, been struggling in the last couple of years and is improving, and we're happy to see that, but he performed admirably. Yeah, he uh, ended up in 10th to get one point, but uh, that is uh, quite a good result for the McLaren. And, of course, in this case, outperformed Jensen Button in both qualifying and the race. Now, Jensen had a retirement early on, so that was not necessarily a fair fight in terms of the race. But uh, it was, you know, it was well done. And I guess what what Alonso tweeted uh, when he was, you know, before the race started, he's like, well, I'm going to see what I can learn uh, and how I can improve my racing from this side of the pit wall. Um, that he was there, of course, at the track in Bahrain. It wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to storm off and go to my hotel room. I'm going to go sit in a lawn chair or <laughs> go be on the beach or whatever. He was there following along. And it may have been an interesting uh, exercise for him to see the race, you know, race unfold and see what all happens on the pit wall and talking to his guys right there in person. And uh, who knows? I mean, hopefully it's all good for them. Uh, the McLaren did seem to be running better than it has, uh, you know, so far in testing and the, than it did in Australia. So hopefully uh, both Button and Alonso can get back in the car in China and beyond. And uh, have even better results with it and get good, uh, you know, get some good reliability going and score some points and all that. Uh, but also, uh, Stoffel Van Dorn, uh, this was a good step forward for him to, in you know, get getting dropped into sort of the deep end here, right into a race weekend with very little notice and having not driven the car at all in testing and having just gotten back from from China or, or Japan, I think where he was, and you know, it's like fly across the world, hop in the car, and to do that and match Jensen Button and, and exceed Jensen Button's performance in the same car um, was very very solid. So. Some people would say, oh, yeah, well, we should get rid of uh, Button and Alonso. They're old now, and maybe they're losing it, and, and maybe they are, but... Um, no, 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 they're not. <laughs> fair enough. But it was, uh, you know, it's exciting to see Stoffel Van Dorn, and he does seem like one of the potential future stars. I think Will Buxton said, you know, could be, could be, you know, define the next generation, and maybe that's a bit much, but, um, you know, definitely could be, uh, definitely got to watch, and uh, does really seem to have the kind of skill that, uh, that you know, these teams need. And could be part of the new generation because, of course, Alonso and Button won't be around as F1 drivers forever. Stoffel Van Dorn is currently 13th in the Drivers' Championship. His teammate, uh, well, his teammates, Jensen Button and uh, Fernando Alonso, are worse than that. Uh, Jensen Button is currently 20th. And Alonso, I'm not even sure he's on this particular list I'm looking at. Also, he was once again the seventh different team to score points by managing 10th place. So in both the Australian Grand Prix, the opener, we had seven different teams score points, and in Bahrain, we had seven different teams, and there were differences in the team. So now, eight of the 11 teams in only two Grands Prix have scored points, which is encouraging. This could be the year that we see all 11 teams, 100% of the teams participating, score points in the Constructors' Championship. I am for that. We saw promise with the Manor. The Manor, I can't remember exactly where the highest Manor finished uh, at the top of my head, but I think it was, yeah, 13th. Yeah, Pascal Verline in 13th place. So that's within striking distance. I mean, if any other crash in front of him or something else could have happened that, you know, depending how safety cars and timing all works out, that's 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 up there. And <laughs> for a perfect uh, uh, juxtaposition here, the other two teams that have not yet scored, Renault and Sauber, well, they finished 11th and 12th. Exactly. So we have real reason to think that we could see all 11 teams score points here, which, uh, for one thing, would simplify the way that uh, drivers and construction point constructor points are uh, given, uh, places are given because 
if if you if you have not scored points, it's your highest standing, you know, your highest finish that isn't in the points, but then that gets a little wonky how that stuff is weighted. So, you know, when numbers are there, it's, the math is a lot better. Yeah, it seems a little bit more fair. All right, well, I think it is time to talk about predictions. And no, no, no. I think it's time to talk about predictions. Fair enough. So Damien, the heuristic model, freaking strikes again. Really? He's heuristically kicking our behinds. Right. So yeah. I, I will say it was a five-way tie with zero points. There were five folks. Damien and Dylan McLean, Mark Page, Nick Drabchuk, and Steve Osborne all correctly chose Hamilton for pole position and Rosberg for the win. So well done to those folks. Uh, five or six more people chose Rosberg, Rosberg for one point. And then a lot of people, myself included, got two points with Hamilton, Hamilton predictions. Uh, going on down the page, I see one Robin Warner with a Hamilton Vettel, which was good for 20 points because that was Vettel for the win. And yeah, oh, I forgot oh, about dude, that. But still, though, so, I mean, look, come on. It really? I mean, it's not like I picked, uh, I don't know. I, I didn't pick uh, Carlos Sainz Jr. for pole position. Come on. Right. So since uh, since we talked about it the uh, the last episode, um, you had all the drivers make predictions in the uh, in the championship. So now, um, untrue. The drivers are big fans, and they decided to jump and get in the mix. But they also have huge egos, so they couldn't predict anyone but themselves. And what are the chances of them changing themselves? Zero. Well, there you go. So in the very last place on our leaderboard, Jolian Palmer, who predicts himself with thirty nine points. Uh, button button ahead of that by by, by a fair amount. So uh, in this case, your uh, twenty point result was tied by Kafia choosing himself uh, for twenty points, and also Fernando Alonso, who for this race just predicted Stoppel Van Dorn for pole and the win. And both of those were worth, such a nice guy were worth twenty points for uh, to tie with you and several other people. I mean, you're in good company with uh, the Hamilton Vettel prediction, and it was a reasonable prediction, but obviously went way wrong as soon as his Ferrari sort of engine blew up. On the installation lap. The most frustrating part about it was, you know, in my heart, I wanted to predict Raikkonen, but I'm like, uh, no, my mind was like, come on, Vettel's going to do better. Nope. So what it is. Uh, overall, uh, Mr. Heuristic Model Damien is, in fact, in the lead, scoring just one single point thus far. And it is, in fact, Nico Rosberg, who is nipping at the heels with two points. He and uh, he is sharing the title with Henry Keyes of second place. And then Jim Lau, you were right there with a bunch of other people um, by your side in fourth place. Including including one Lewis Hamilton, who has also predicted himself this whole time. And uh, I think a lot of the other people I'm tied with also have been Hamilton Hamilton so far this whole year. That's exactly right. So, yeah. And uh, one, one fun shout out that's always good to give. Uh, Mr. Jensen Button and Will Carver are best buds. They are BFFs. They are blood buddies. And they are tied for 63rd place with 56 points apiece. Listen, it misery is better with company, Mr. Carver. And now you have it. So for future predictions, this is for the Chinese Grand Prix 2016. Old style qualifying, you know, ye oldie 2015 qualifying. And then... New style race with uh, different tire compounds and all that, which is interesting, especially between the two Mercedes drivers. Uh, I'm going to switch it up and think that I think uh, Nico Rosberg is going to get on pole position, uh, which is a rare choice. Lots of folks, I mean, Nico Rosberg thinks he'll he'll be on pole, but uh, uh, Damien, you know, of course, thinks Hamilton's going to be on pole again. I think he's wrong. So I'm thinking I'm going Nico for pole and then 
Lewis for the win. I do think with tire strategy and the whatnot that uh, Hamilton will come back and pass Nico at some point during the race and will win the Grand Prix. So I am this time going to listen to my heart and I am going to say that Lewis Hamilton does three-peat for this season and he does in fact get on pole, but that a Mr. Not-Too-Old, the Iceman cometh Kimi Raikkonen will win his first Grand Prix in quite a few seasons, I think three seasons now, and the villagers will rejoice, and I will be with them, and I'm going to be quite happy, and it's going to be a wonderful day. Can I thank Neil Popham one more time? So he's the prediction stud. This is the guy that runs the Facebook prediction app. I just noticed, and there's the leaderboard that has people's profiles picture, profile pictures, that all the drivers, uh, well, right now, Nico Rosberg and Lewis Hamilton are both on the leaderboard. So it's it's their pictures. It's not just a little generic Facebook thing. Any people that are on the leaderboard, just normal Facebook user people, humans, have their profile picture. And then Damien, I don't even know what that's a picture of. <laughs> but he has, so, you know, Neil, being the attention to detail, super awesome guy that he is, um, has put photos for everyone. And it looks like, I don't know if it's some little possessed child or what the, what what Damien actually. What, what, it's, well, it's it's Damien. That's what it is. I guess that's what Damien looks like. So anyway, <laughs> the attention to detail there is great. So uh, we can see Nico Rosberg's smiling face there in second place, um, tied with Henry Keys, and, and uh, there's me with my little baby in my profile picture and all that. So anyway, that's just that just warms my heart, and I think it's great that uh, Neil puts the care and attention into this predictions app. So all right, I have made my prediction. I'm going to reload the thing. Did you put in your um, your updated prediction, have you made that change here? Yes. Why don't you check yourself, Mr. Hamilton Reichen? All right. So I'm on the so and so person. Yeah. So between the three of us, I'm the only one thinking Rosberg on pole. So we'll see how that pans out. And I think if he's not on pole, he'll be close to it. So I think it's fairly safe. And then we'll see if uh, maybe his car blows up on the installation lap. And then lots of people, uh, you know, gain a lot of points that they don't want. <laughs> it could happen. <laughs> well. <laughs> Hey, I think, yeah, Ferrari's the one that's uh, a lot more worried about that right now. Uh, and so, we'll, yeah, we'll see how your reckoning win uh, situation goes. That, that worked out pretty well for you the first time, right? But if I'm right, come on. Well, That'll yeah. be an epic thing for all. For every single human being on the planet. Yes. Yes. So, um, thank you, as always, for taking part in the Predictions Championship on Facebook. Um, and uh, Still lots of time, by the way, guys. Lots of time. Right. And also, uh, this because the uh, time zones were pretty good. Bahrain at nighttime is pretty good for uh, Michigan in the middle of the day. So uh, we were uh, live tweeting to some extent. And uh, it gets a little complicated at the house. you got the little one-year-old running around, and it's all kind of chaos. And uh, there's a lot to follow in the race anyway. It's actually sometimes the more boring races that are more fun to tweet about because there's more, you know, all of the teams and drivers and everybody gets online. And I remember the, uh, which, I forget what year it was, 2012? Canadian Grand Prix that was four hours because it had the red flags for rain and all that. And that was like so much fun to be on Twitter for because everyone's like, you know, doing goofball stuff. So anyway, when it's a more exciting race, it's like, I'm just, you know, we're watching the race. So there's not as much tweeting, but uh, all kinds of people taking part on hashtag FW cars. So, uh, you know, big shout out and thank you to those doing that. Uh, of course, Lori Jordan in there, Amy Louise, um, you and I, Robin, uh, Joao Cunha. Anyway, lots of folks on there. Uh, taking part and we always appreciate that so that's fun and uh i don't know that for china we'll be able to do that that's kind of middle of the night our time so um don't uh, don't be too bummed out if we're not there for live tweetering but uh, anyway it is always fun to follow us on twitter uh always the best place to start is funwithcars.com where of course you can see all the show notes and links that we post for each episode those are also probably available in the podcast player of your choice and there's links to the facebook page and the predictions app uh, which is part of the facebook 
and of course the hashtag and you can follow us on Twitter and all that fun stuff. Or if you're more of an email type of enthusiast, you can always email feedback at funwithcars.com and with any thoughts, suggestions, interesting articles, uh, whatever, uh, you know, Bitcoin. Oh, please, please, please comment uh, right on funwithcars.com on the uh, on the post with the podcast. Yes. So thank you, as always, for listening. Uh, do stay tuned for another possibly slightly delayed like this podcast, but after the Chinese Grand Prix, we are looking forward to it. And uh, I guess this way, when you've got the podcast, there's less time to wait until the next race. So it's uh, there's, there's you got the race in the podcast. It's a good staggered thing, and uh, it keeps everybody happy. So I'm excited about it. And uh, thank you, as always, for bearing with us on our release schedule. But thank you, as always, for listening. I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner. Hey, let's get some low main for Romaine. It's a Chinese Grand Prix coming up.